This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome in, everybody. You're listening to the SteelersNation.com podcast brought to you by Stoney's Brewing. My name's TJ Wingert. We have a handful of things to be talking about today. We're going to get it started with Antonio Brown being voted the best receiver in the NFL. Which for Steelers fans, no surprise to us. We would definitely agree with that assessment. But when you look at the NFL Network top 100 players, show they do every single year based on the results from the season before, he was ranked as the number two player in the entire league, only behind the quarterback for the New England Patriots, Tom Brady. And I think not only Steelers fans, but NFL fans across the country would agree with that, saying that Antonio Brown maybe even has an argument against Tom Brady to be the number one player inside the NFL. But for right now, number two player in the league, and I don't think there's any arguments against. Then you look at an ESPN Insider Roundtable that was done earlier this week with six of those insiders brought together, and five of the six chose Antonio Brown as the top receiver in the league, with the other vote going towards Odell Beckham Jr., and an argument there being more valuable uh, based off record. In 2016, the Giants went 11-5. and five. Then he gets hurt early in 2017. The team finishes 3-13. and 13. And then also a small argument brought to you saying OBJ has better hair. But besides those small arguments from that one insider, the other five chose Antonio Brown. I mean, we live in a league with a very, very talented receiving core. I mean, you're looking at Antonio Brown's a top flight receiver. Uh, Julio Jones, A.J. Green, uh, Odell Beckham Jr., among many other names that could add to the list. Mike Evans being one. Uh, Plenty of receivers in this league are true number ones. And this is maybe as... Best of time to be a receiver in the NFL as there ever has been. Then you look at a fan poll that was done on that same insider uh, roundtable on ESPN.com, and you see multiple names. You have Antonio Brown, uh, A.J. Green, Mike Evans, OBJ, Julio Jones, to list just a few. Antonio Brown not only, and then there was another option as well, Antonio Brown not only comes away with the plurality, most votes, highest percentage, but he comes away with the majority of 51% of the vote, with the next high, highest vote-getter being Julio Jones at 17%. So with so many options on the board, it's kind of remarkable that he even got a majority, but he did it 51% of people voting, saying Antonio Brown, the best receiver in the NFL. And one of those insiders that was a part of that roundtable discussion is Phil Dates, who I think is a great expert and a great insider to be following when it comes to not only football news, but fantasy football advice as well. And Yates put it as, quote, no better route runner, footwork, ability to separate in tight areas, make contested catches. A.B. is also a menace in the open field with rare vision and acceleration, end quote. So again, that was Field Yates' take on Antonio Brown. And I mean, now you have NFL Network saying he's the best receiver in the league, ESPN Insiders, ESPN Fan Poll. But also, when you just look at the stats, the numbers back it up as well. You're looking at a guy who had a drop rate of 1.9% a season ago. So think about all the targets Big Ben had towards Antonio Brown. 
and he dropped less than 2% of them. That was 10th best in the league. Then you're looking at a guy who led the league in catches over 20 yards a season ago with 27. So you're not only talking about a guy who gets done over the middle of the field, gets done on the sideline, but he is arguably the best deep threat in the game of football as well. Then if you look at just over the past five seasons, he has racked up 582 catches, the next highest at 481. He has 7,848 yards receiving, next highest 6,897. He's hauled in 52 touchdowns, next highest being at 46. And then for fantasy football perspective, he's brought in 1,708 fantasy points over the past five seasons, next highest being at 1,561. So you're looking at a guy who has had 101 more catches the next highest, almost 1,000 yards, six more touchdowns over the past five seasons. It's almost like Antonio Brown has had an extra season worth of production, and not just any season of an average receiver. You're looking at a guy with 100 catches, almost 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. If you put those numbers on a receiver, that's a borderline Pro Bowl receiver, arguably making his case to be in the Pro Bowl. So you're going to a guy who's, over the same time span, has an extra season, Pro Bowl season, of production. And you're looking at that, and he also has missed three games over the past two years. He missed two games a season ago and a game in the season before. So it's even crazier to think, not only is he that much further ahead of the competition, but just think, had he not missed those three games over the past two seasons, how much better those numbers could be and how much further that gap would be. And then an even more impressive thing when it comes to Antonio Brown, he is working with a five foot ten inch frame. When you look at the past two decades or so of best receivers in the league, you're looking at Jerry Rice, six foot two. Chris Carter, six foot three. Randy Moss, six foot four. Terrell Owens, six foot three. Calvin Johnson, six foot five. All of the best receivers in the league that have dominated have been at least six two or taller. You're looking at a guy who's under six foot, shorter than me, out there with great footwork. Amazing route runner. Maybe the best route runner we've ever seen in the NFL next to Jerry Rice. A guy with the best set of hands in the entire league who can make catches over the middle, on the sideline, be that big play down the field threat that I was talking about earlier. And he does it all at a very small stature for a receiver at five foot ten, which only makes it even more impressive that he is out there dominating the NFL. But like I said at the top of the show, no surprise there for Pittsburgh Steelers fans. We've always known Antonio Brown, AB, the best receiver in the league. And now insiders, fans, NFL Network, stats are all on our side and and backing up that fact. Again, you're listening to the SteelersNation.com podcast brought to you by Stoney's Brewing. So moving on from Antonio Brown, we're going to move on to the safety battle, a very interesting position battle here in training camp. You're looking at uh, two positions that Mike Tomlin has said of both are wide open when it comes to the starting jobs. So you're looking at strong safety, Sean Davis, who has started the past couple of years, Malik Golden, and then a rookie from Penn State named Marcus Allen. So if that name sounds familiar, yes, that is the same name of NFL Hall of Famer for the Raiders and Chiefs, Marcus Allen, who was a running back and uh, one of the best to ever do it. But he has no relation to Marcus Allen. But he is the godson of NFL great Curtis Martin, who used to play for the Patriots and the Jets, running back as well. But at the other safety position you have, coming over from Green Bay in free agency, Morgan Burnett, along with rookie first-round pick Terrell Edmonds. So starting with a strong safety position, Sean Davis has started the past two years, uh, led the team in tackles uh, with 90 a year ago. He's a much more in-the-box kind of a safety. 
But with that being said, his ability to stop the run sometimes gets shattered by how much of a liability he can be in coverage as we've seen him try to cover tight ends like Rob Gronkowski and get shredded. And we've also seen uh, him get beat deep in zone coverage. So it's more what he can do in the passing game that really hurts him in this argument of should he be a starter or should he not? But I mean, when you look at Marcus Allen, the rookie from Penn State that I was just talking about, he's kind of the same player. 110 tackles last year at Penn State, much more wants to be in the box, stop the run, uh, safety, as opposed to somebody who's going to help you a lot in coverage, be able to slow down the passing game. Then you look at the free safety position, you're looking at Morgan Burnett, a guy who has been a Pro Bowl level player, and again, the same skill set. He wants to be able to stop the run. He, he, is, he wants his nose in the box, and when it comes to tackling, if there's a weak spot on the Steelers defense, along with Maybe pass defense tackling can be an issue at times. Morgan Burnett, while being the biggest wild card on the Steelers defense, he could either be the guy who helps boost this defense and be a great tackler and help in the passing game some, or he could be a complete bust, not worth the money he got in free agency. But if he plays at his best, you're looking at a guy who's going to be fantastic in the run game, be able to tackle and slow down opponents' rushing attack. So against a team like Jacksonville, where the Jaguars ran all over Pittsburgh twice in the season, uh, it will definitely be a big bolster to that aspect of it. But again, not the best in coverage. He's played uh, eight NFL seasons now, has nine interceptions, uh, even more pass deflections. So not necessarily a true liability, but not exactly his strength. And then you get to Terrell Edmonds, who is a very interesting prospect. A guy who athletically would make a great coverage safety. Uh, when you look at his his 40 time, 447, his agility, his lateral movement, you would think you could throw him back there. He could be your single high safety uh, and cover one man, and he could be able to could patrol the field. And it would be, I think it would be a huge help. If they could have one covered safety, it helps out with the zone blitzes, and you can get a little more creative knowing that you have that back line safety to try to slow down that vertical passing attack from the other team. And also you can run man coverage blitzes if you know you can put them on a tight end like Rob Gronkowski or if Pittsburgh played Green Bay uh, and Jimmy Graham or any sort of situation like that. It creates a whole lot more creativity and options for the Steelers defense who wants to blitz and has the personnel to be an aggressive defense and get after the quarterback by sending five, six, seven at the QB. But without that deep covered safety, really get your hands tied behind your back and become handcuffed on the defensive end as you have Artie Burns, you have Joe Hayden, you have talented corners, but when you're blitzing, it's a lot easier to be one-on-one coverage and then you're Held back. You can only rush four or five while granted Pittsburgh's pass rush anchored by Cameron Hayward when he's on the field. Then you have J.J. Watt who had a good, strong rookie season and others in company who can help get after the quarterback. But when looking down the Steelers' schedule, you're looking at facing quarterbacks including Matt Ryan, Cam Newton, Case Keenum, Phillip Rivers, Derek Carr, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees at the end of the year. So the more pressure you can send at those types of quarterbacks, the more it'll help slow them down, get them off rhythm, and keep them on their toes. But to be able to do that, you're going to need strong safety play to be at that back line, be able to hold their own. And when it comes down to it, you're going to need a big year out of Sean Davis like you saw in his rookie year. You're going to need Morgan Burnett to get back to what he was and his prime there in Green Bay. But also, you're looking at a couple different guys that could become flex third down linebackers. Terrell Edmonds could definitely become a third, third and long when you know it's a passing situation. You can throw him in that spot and let him be a big body, coverage ability, athletic monster 
there in the middle of the field, along with if you have Burnett and Davis playing well. But again, the key will be to stop that vertical passing game. And to do that, like I said, those guys are going to need to be playing at a top tier level. And also going back to Marcus Allen, like I said, he's a very talented tackler and has a nose for the ball and knows how to find the ball carry. So even if he's not necessarily a starter on the free safety spot, look for him to be a very useful weapon when it comes to special teams, a guy who may lead the special teams unit and tackles his upcoming year. But even when you play teams like Oakland with Marshawn Lynch and uh, Jacksonville with Leonard Fournette, maybe he finds ways to sneak onto the field as someone who's not afraid to tackle anybody and can be a very useful weapon at slowing down those power running games. But as I said at the beginning of this segment, Mike Tomlin said both starting spots are up for grabs. So as we go through training camp and preseason play, we will see who outplays who to earn that starting position. You're listening to the SteelersNation.com podcast brought to you by Stoney's Brewing. Again, my name is TJ Winger, and we're going to move on to our third topic, a Big Ben mentoring Mason Rudolph role that he is now in. So now when you look at Big Ben, he's almost like his Tommy Maddox. Tommy Maddox never really got a chance to really help mentor Big Ben as, as he went down with an injury during Big Ben's rookie year. And then after that, the rest is history. Big Ben earned the starting spot, and he's been the man for the franchise ever since. So as we know, Pittsburgh took Mason Rudolph in the third round this past NFL draft to maybe be the guy, to be the predecessor to Ben Roethlisberger. When you look at the two guys, they have a lot in common. You're looking at big body guys, both six foot five, both have big arms and similar playing styles. So if Mason Rudolph can sit behind Big Ben over the next couple of years, I think Big Ben's the perfect role model, the perfect fit for somebody like Mason Rudolph to learn from. Now, there was a little bit of a controversy with Big Ben not understanding the pick, saying he still plans on playing for another three to five years, but... You know, even if he plays another three years, you got to have somebody after that. And I think if you can have Mason Rudolph behind Big Ben for three years, as I just said, that would be a perfect situation and allows him to pass the torch right along to Mason Rudolph and a continued success down the road for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And since those opening remarks for Big Ben questioned the move, he has been more embracing of Mason Rudolph and saying, well, Mason's not going to take my role now, but I understand where Pittsburgh's trying to go down the road just as long as this kid understands basically he's not going to take my starting position, which is still good to see from an elder Big Ben who talked about retiring over the past couple of off-seasons and talks about how he'd rather have his kid play golf than football. It's good to see him being so competitive and wanting to fight to keep his starting job. At the same time, Ben has also expressed some concern uh, more for Josh Dobbs and Landry Jones, who with Mason Rudolph coming in and presumably going to be having a roster spot over the next couple of years, you're probably going to have to get rid of at least one of them. It's pretty tough in the modern NFL to have four quarterbacks on the roster taking you another roster spot where you could have depth on offensive line, defensive line, secondary, etc., etc. Ben was quoted as saying, I do feel bad for those guys. I don't know what's going to happen, end quote. So now the Steelers are stuck in a situation where Landry Jones has been the number two guy, and even Ben in that same interview later said he assumed Landry will continue to be the number two guy but now Josh Dobbs the guy the team took in the fourth round just a season ago with Mason Rudolph being taken in the third round this year a lot of uncertainty you don't know what the Steelers could do with Dobbs I mean you'd hate to see him be cut already being he's heading into a second season so there's a high chance of Josh Dobbs being traded just because the Steelers due to the amount of quarterbacks on the roster trying to get something for the second year quarterback Josh Dobbs just trying to get probably a future pick mid-round pick down the road and if Pittsburgh can do that, then that settles that situation. But it still gives Josh Dobbs a place to be developing down the road and giving him a potential chance to start maybe one day. And at this point, Mason Rudolph nor Josh Dobbs is likely ready to become the number two guy. And if something happens to Big Ben, as tough as he is, he has battled injuries. You need to have a steady 
reliable, ready a number two quarterback on your roster to take in and step up and take over that role. At any time, we saw Nick Foles take the Eagles to the Super Bowl being that guy. So Pittsburgh with Landry Jones having that same exact experience coming in and filling in for times where Big Ben's been hurt or starting later in the year just when Pittsburgh wants to rest its starters. Landry Jones has to be the guy they keep on the roster, thus creating Dobbs being the odd man out and look for Pittsburgh to trade him in the near future. You're listening to the SteelersNation.com podcast brought to you by Stoney's Brewing. And we'll get on to our last topic of today's show. Le'Veon Bell inching closer to a contract extension, or so we think. He posted on Instagram with the caption, optimistic with the thinking emoji with the hand on the chin. Anybody my, anybody my age, millennials out there, you know what I'm talking about. But it seems he is optimistic on getting that contract extension done. He has said publicly that this year the Steelers and him are closer than they've ever been. Inching closer, he said he doesn't want anything less than $14.5 million salary per year. So it leaves Pittsburgh in uncharted territory as Le'Veon Bell's asking for more money than any running backs ever gotten. So Pittsburgh has to decide. And the day where running backs are a dime a dozen, is he worth the $14.5 million? Or do you try to roll up with James Conner or someone else down the road? But it appears the two sides are coming closer. And without a doubt, Le'Veon Bell, one of, if not the best running backs in the NFL as last year, in just 15 games, he ran for 1,291 yards and tallied a career-high 655 receiving yards with a total of 11 touchdowns as a part of the Killer Bees trio of Big Ben Antonio Brown himself. And then you can even count Chris Boswell in there as well. So Le'Veon closer to becoming a Pittsburgh Steeler for the foreseeable future and solidifying those Killer Bees. Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast on SteelersNation.com, brought to you by Stoney's Brewing. Again, my name's TJ Wingard, and check back for next week's podcast. And until then, we are signing off.